1: This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com/excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 10, episode 14.
2: This is Writing Excuses. How much of the beginning needs to come
3: first? 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. And I'm Dan. And we got that in the wrong order, but we're going to go ahead anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we are on to the actual
2: writing of your story. Yay! <laughs> we took three months teaching you how to plan <laughs> hey, to write you know your what? story. Tolkien
3: took 20 years. That's right. So. True.
2: We're, we're, we're accelerated. So we're going to start uh, talking about beginnings today. And how much of the beginning needs to come first. Uh, this was a really <laughs> clever title that Howard came up with.
3: <laughs> are you going to ask me to explain it? Because, Go for it. <laughs> oh, dear <laughs> heavens. Um, there are so many things that you want to tell in your story to your reader, so many things that you want to have happen, and every one of those things typically has some sort of precursor, preamble, something that foreshadows it, something that sets it up. What Of, of that whole list of things, which of those things comes First, what is this whole sequence? Yeah, yeah, I mean, and it's not necessarily the whole novel is one single causal sequence, but what are the pieces that you need to put in the beginning so that the reader is willing and excited to follow you through to the middle and the end?
1: Yes, and at the same time, while you're making that decision, you are also, of course, making the decision about what things do you not need to include at the beginning.
2: Mm. Right. Now, we're beginning in this phrasing. We're talking about the first third of your book, right? Um, We'll drill into early pages in another podcast, probably in two weeks. But right now, what we want to talk about is just framing in your head how you're going to make promises to the reader. And that's a phrase we use a lot um, on
4: writing excuses, is talking about promises. What what do we mean by promises, Dan? The promises that you make at the beginning of a story are the promises that you intend to pay off by the end of it. Um, So you could think of this... For example, in terms of the mice quotient, you know, if we start by um, presenting an idea, then the prom you know, that's a promise that we're making is that by the end of the story, we will have explained that idea. We will have gone deeper into it. If we start by asking a question, our promise is that by the end of the story, we will answer it. And so the first part of your story, a lot of what it's doing is setting up those promises. What does this character want? Well, then we know that you're promising to tell us whether he or she gets it at the end. Right. Like we that. should be
2: setting up character motives. That's, that's one of the most important things to be doing in these early chapters, character motivation.
3: In a broader sense, the story has what, for lack of a better term, I'll just call body language.
5: Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: things that you communicate by virtue of the fact that uh, your story at the beginning sounds like uh, the beginning of a James Bond movie or the beginning of a romantic comedy. By doing those sorts of things, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you are inherently promising things that belong to that form. Whether or not that's the kind of novel you're actually writing, yeah. that's a promise you may be making. And that's where, in many cases, uh, I, under, I, I uncover this with my writer's group all the time, where chapter three, I realize, well, this isn't this isn't what you told me I was going to be reading. Right. You told me I was going to be reading something else. This yeah. is a tone promise.
2: Very exactly. important. To get the right tone across. You notice a lot of films um, accomplish this with a prologue. They say they know. All right, Indiana Jones. We're going to sh- start really mm-hmm. our story with him in a um, university somewhere, talking to students. But that's not the tone of our movie. That means we need to back up and have a scene at the beginning of him on an adventure and ending an adventure in order to set up the proper tone for the the entirety of our our, our yeah, story. Yeah.
4: Um, uh- Song of Ice and Fire does yes. this really well. Uh, the very first thing of Game of Thrones is a prologue where we fight an ice monster. Yep. And you then we leave that for, you know, there's no more magic until the end of that gigantic book but we've set up that promise in the beginning so that you know what kind of book it is. Now we've
1: just we've just hit a couple of things where we're talking about prologues. I really right. want to make sure that people understand that <laughs> prologues are totally not necessary yeah. and and, are, and that you can do this without without a prologue. Particularly if you're writing short fiction, prologues are a really yeah, bad right. idea. And
2: in fact, the the Indiana Jones one that can just be chapter one. Yeah, I mean, that. if you look at um, the first Indiana Jones film, mm-hmm. he's on an adventure. You have a mini-adventure at the beginning. Um, I wouldn't write that as a prologue. I would probably write that in the book as chapter
1: one. Yeah, and mm-hmm. one of the things also with Indiana Jones, mm-hmm. just to point out, is that what they are promising with that yeah. is the sensation of, I am watching part of a serial. Yeah, And so having multiple adventures mm-hmm. is part of the promise that they're making. Another thing that they are inherently promising that would
3: have been undercut if that scene had come later in the film, is that we are not going to explain the physics behind how these thousand year old traps work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, and you can see that they work. And that is just part of the universe we live in. Uh, or that this movie lives in. Right. Uh, that expectation, I, I see that a lot in corny movies, which I love because they allow themselves to be corny, where in the opening scene, I see something ridiculous and I realize, oh, this movie has just thrown down and told me it's going to be ridiculous. Right. Um... And, but the promise, with that promise made, with my expectations set, uh, if the movie then delivers that level of ridiculous and corny, I'm okay.
1: Yeah. And so one of the things that I want to really highlight as we are talking about promises is that when you're writing a book, when you're talking about genre and tone and mood and story questions and all of this, one of the things to remember is that the book is a way to hack the brain. And so when people are picking it up, they're picking it up to produce a specific emotional state in themselves and And this is a very highbrow way to yes. think about it, but it is it is what you're doing, and that's mm-hmm. why the promise that you're making is so important because if someone picks it up and they're planning to create a specific mood and you j- deliver something else, they're going to be frustrated because it's not doing what they needed it to do. That's not why they picked up that book
2: yeah, exactly this is this is. Very important. It is very helpful for the reader to, or the writer to understand this. Um, and we've talked a lot about the tone one. I want to go back to some other types of promises for that sure. we need to make. Um, let's talk about character promises, mm-hmm. um, uh, specifically the character arc. In the mm-hmm. first third of your story, you really should establish what kind of
4: arc your character is going to have. How do you do that? I uh... – Last time we taught uh, the the Writing Excuses class, I did a retreat. I did my class about story structure. And uh, one of the things that I put up there was, you know, one of your early bits in the Hollywood formula is we are introduced to the character, we find out what they want, and we know why we love them. Mm. And that was like a light going off in the audience. And they're like, oh, we need to know why we love this character right off the bat from the very beginning. And it hadn't occurred to them. And so that... First of all, you know, once you know what they want and why Mm -hmm. we like them, that establishes our reason to care about whether or not the character gets what they want. You know, and in
2: line with that, most uh, stories that are doing this also show the hole in the person's life. There Mm -hmm. is something Mm -hmm. they are missing, and that's part of why we we like them is because we know there's a hole. We know there's something they want, and we're going to follow them getting that. And if you establish first, third, or earlier— this character needing that thing, you're promising that they're going to either find that or fail to find that. The, mm-hmm. There's going to be a conflict related to that in the book.
3: One of the disconnects that uh, I, I find a lot uh, occurs when we have a protagonist that is difficult to like, mm-hmm. because the promise, I mean, I mean, if it's well written, you can get away with it, but uh, often the promise is unclear. Am I being told that I am going to learn to like this person or am I being told that this person is going to get it in the end? Yeah. And it may be that you're writing a story where that is the tension that you are establishing with the reader. I don't get that answer until mm-hmm. the end of the book. Um, but you need to know that going in. You need to know what you're writing. Uh, you need to know that you are saying this and you need to know what you're planning on delivering.
2: Yeah. This, um for a little bit more help with this, if you want to dig into writing characters like this, uh, last year we did a sequence of podcasts where we talked about kind of three sliding scales. You can move up or down with a character. And one of them was likability, but one of them was proactiveness, and one of them was competence. And we talk a lot about how to write a character who is not very likable, but very competent, or vice versa, and
3: things well, and like that. In, in the sense of it talking about promises, uh, if you go back to that slider metaphor... When you have somebody who is likable, but not particularly competent, often the promise that you're framing is, this person is going to become competent. I'm I'm expecting to see a montage scene uh, where, where they learn how to sword fight.
5: Hey, writers. Are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com
0: today. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
2: Let's do our Book of the Week. Uh, Dan, you've got our Book of the Week.
0: Yeah, the Book of the
4: Week is uh, The Three-Body Problem by Xin Liu. Uh, it was translated by Ken Liu. And it is read by Luke Daniels. Um, This is a really great book. It reminded me a lot of Contact by Carl Sagan in that it is a highly scientific look at what would happen if our world today, uh, you know, actually contacted uh, another species from another planet. Uh, The difference and the reason that I think it's such a great book for this topic is that it starts way, way back at the dawn of the Communist Revolution in China, which casts everything that comes afterwards in a really interesting light and sets up some you know, very different and unique promises that the, that the story is going to pay off. Wonderful book. It was a huge hit in China, and we have it here now. Uh, the Three-Body Problem by Xin Liu. Excellent. And they can get that by going to Audible, going and downloading Howard
2: mm-hmm.
3: Uh, No, not downloading me, but going to audiblepodcast.com and uh, uh, slash excuse and uh, starting a trial membership. And you get the three-body problem uh, by, I can't pronounce the other name, but translated by Ken Liu, uh, narrated by Luke Daniels. And
1: Luke Daniels is an incredibly gifted narrator. Uh,
3: I want to say something real quick about the phrase three-body problem, because mathematically, this ties into what we're doing perfectly. In physics, a a two-body Newtonian mechanics, uh, their starting positions dictate everything, and you know exactly what's going to happen. It's it's just straight math. When you have three bodies, it no longer works, and you have to step through a simulation of the whole thing. When you are starting the beginning of your book, what you are starting fundamentally is more like a three-body problem Hmm. where you have to let everybody interact often as as you're structuring your story. It's not just the story starts here, therefore it will end here
5: mm-hmm
2: excellent um so we've talked a lot about character promises we've talked about tone let's talk about plot how do you set up your plot in the first third of your story
1: so the first third of the story for me is is about asking questions it's the questions that mm-hmm. you're raising and therefore the ones that that you're, you're you know the promises that you're making um i'm going to refer back to the mice quotient again because i find that that works really well for me mm-hmm. but um and I will just say we've got the whole episode on the mice question. So I'm going to, I'm not going to recap it much here except to say, um, that it's looking at milieu, idea, character and event. These are different ways to structure plot. Uh, but what I do frequently when I'm looking at the beginning is that I'm looking at what is my large framing question Uh and then what are the smaller framing questions that I have within that large framing question.
4: Okay. Um, The the way I think about plot, especially in the beginning of the book, is that uh, I have to know what three key elements are. First of all, what is the starting state of the character, Mm -hmm. which is kind of what I talked about before. What do they want out of life? Second, what is the inciting incident? What starts the story and gets in and kicks them out of their place of comfort and forces them to act? And then third, the big decision, which is essentially where they decide to do something, you know? Luke Skywalker decides to get on the ship with Han, and therefore we have a story. Otherwise, he just stays on the planet and nothing happens. So once I figure out what those three things are, you know, that is what sets the plot in motion and and tells you the promise. Oh, by the end of this, you know, Luke will have, you know, learned all these things and met all these people and
2: defeated the Empire and all this in a kind of Hollywood formula, which is is interesting to study. I don't always use it. In fact, I rarely do. But the Hollywood formula says that the first third is often where the character is only acting because he's forced to. He or she is made to do these things, and the end of the first third happens where they change from being acted upon to someone who is acting. And for Star Wars, a lot of people point out the moment where they go to in to get Princess Leia rather than, you know doing the, they, they're pulled in on the tractor beam and things mm-hmm. like that. And at that moment, then they make a decision. We're going to go and save her. That changes the story from the kid who's been forced away from his family, forced to go with his old man, forced to get on a spaceship because people are trying to shoot him, to, no, I'm going to go do something heroic. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes, this is later than the first third. But that's kind of a, one way to think about it.
1: Just as a, another, because these are both, I mean, that's yes. a fairly heroic. Um, I recently took a romance class, and mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that she talks about is that it is, um, that in, in romance, you've got your character's self-definition, everybody's self-definition is very precious, and that, uh, that the beginning, uh, the character is in denial, mm. uh, and then the character is reluctant. Uh, then, right. which means that they understand, but they are reluctant to, uh, then they explore the mm-hmm. idea and then they accept. Mm. Um, and then in romance, there's matrimony, but, mm-hmm. um, but, but again, this is, this is something that you can look at that, that, that frequently a character is refusing part of that, refusing to accept or, or getting kicked out is that they're, they're in denial that this whole thing is happening. And I'm, I have been looking at that and going, actually, this applies to a lot of other things, mm-hmm. a lot of other yeah. formats. Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah, when I'm, uh, when I'm thinking about the promise that needs to be made, uh, the things that I need to put early in the book, um, I always, the, the first thing I frame for myself is what are the awesome things that I want to write about and draw? What are the awesome <laughs> moments? Now, how do I tell the reader that that thing is possible and might be coming without telling them uh, exactly what's going to happen? Right. Uh, I mean, we say promises... And it's not really the same as an actual promise. You know, I promise you I will go out and buy bread. means you're going to get bread. I promise you that this is going to be, you know, an action romp and something's going to explode way bigger than this thing that just exploded Uh, is more like the sorts of promises that I make. And I make them by making something explode, usually as the inciting incident.
2: If you've done the homework that we assigned two weeks ago, um, then you will already have a list of all your favorite things that you want to put in this story in order. Then you'll be able to take them and say, okay, how do I make promises regarding these things? I know that I'm, I'm gonna, I have this great, awesome moment in my story that I want to work toward. You can ask yourself how to put in the beginning of your story something about each of these. And your, your homework this time is actually a little more active than that. We actually want you to start writing your story. Okay? <gasps> yes. yes. Time to start writing. Um, we're gonna have twenty
3: years. <laughs> <laughs>
2: you got three months. Um, we're gonna make you write it three times. Actually, we want you to start your story, and we only want you to write a couple pages each time. So five hundred words um, each time. But we want you each of these attempts to take a different one of things from that list. And if you didn't do the homework, go ahead and think about a story you want to write and three different promises you could make, and try in those each two pages to emphasize a different one, to emphasize a different tone and a different type of promise. Now, in a a full novel— you're going to do multiple promises, and you're going to you know, make some of them really important and some of them sub uh, plots and things like that. For this time, you're just going to pick one. You're going to be like, all right, this is the pro- this story where I'm promising a romance, or this is the same story, the same setting, but I'm promising that something big is going to blow up. Whatever it is for you, pick three different promises and do your best at emphasizing them. All right, guys, this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write.